0: I'll remember it the rest of my life. I was out a sunny uh, August morning walking my dogs and uh, I, I just came to the realization that I needed to turn my life over to God. And I, I read scripture and, uh, and I just asked the Lord to kind of tell me where he wanted me to, to direct my life. I was really touched by uh, scripture that uh, told us to uh, do acts of goodwill, particularly kindness towards the poor, the weak, those who are disadvantaged.
1: But if we think about it, especially as Christians, the Bible is full of stories of migration and migrants. The Old Testament law is a whole set of legislation about how to take care of foreigners and move into the land. So it's 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 part of the biblical story, part of the biblical demand that we do respond. It's a metaphor used for Christian identity. What you find in First Peter is that we all are called sojourners and strangers in this world. The whole world has changed, and the church is asleep. This is Mission Shift, a podcast that shares ideas about reaching out to the immigrant cultures in America today. When most people think of missions, they immediately think of somewhere overseas. Yet missions today could mean the neighbor next door. Our conversation today is with Roland Wells, a historian, pastor, and communicator who has spent most of his life teaching people how the gospel can impact all people and cultures. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Well, last time we got together, we talked a little bit about what mission shift is and how important it is for today's church to be aware that the people who have come from everywhere else are here now, and how are we reaching them responsibly with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's say that I take the mission shift course, I've got all this information, I start infiltrating, if that's a good word, or befriending people from different cultures, what do we do then? I mean, so I'm having this Bible study study, there's conversation with the gospel. Where do we go with that?
2: Well, let's say you're 25 or 35 or 45 years old or uh, somebody older than that. Each of us are busy. You know, there are times during the minivan years when we, uh, we're just more busy with, with hockey and music lessons and all the rest of it and scouts and church. Maybe we want to get off to the cabin on the weekends. We're, we're busy. And, you know, hockey at 2 a.m. because that's when the ice time is. We have to think through, you know, what our life is for. What's it for at various stages and so on. But at the same time, we're surrounded by these people with these needs all the time. And so what we've tried to develop is a way of teaching people to simply have their eyes open and to be able to create relationships and bring the gospel and be involved in ministry as part of life, as a part of the normal day in and day out. Maybe invest a couple hours a week into something like where God has created a niche for you doesn't have to be a big niche. It doesn't have to be reaching tens of thousands of people. But as you learn about a culture, as you learn about a group of people, as you invest some time in teaching English or as you invest some time in, there's a bazillion different ways to help with different organizations, these open opportunities. But even just at work, even just at uh, when you're checking out of the supermarket to create a little conversation. And maybe next time you go through the same supermarket, you look for the same person and you have a little conversation and you talk a little bit more and you learn about their family and you show a a friendly voice. Well, I
0: think what it does is it gives you the confidence to knowing something that you're just not jumping into the dark with. Well, here's the fear I have that now that you're you know knowledgeable about this culture you went through mission shift and i've got this information what i fear is that i'm going to be all alone and i'm going to fail because there's there's no support so somehow i don't know if a small group is designed around helping an immigrant if we adopt an immigrant family something so that there's not only a connection there but i have others around me speak to that
2: Well, there's a lot of ways that we can become involved and we can work with folks like this. The first thing is simply to become aware, to open your eyes and open your heart and open your mind and open your mouth. As I said last time, you got these little rubbery things on the front of your face. They're called lips, and if you wiggle them just right, you can talk. And when we are able to say hello and have a conversation, simply notice that there are people around us and treat them like people. It, it, that's a huge thing. And as we build relationships, it adds credibility, and we can we can then go on from there. A few immigrants will come to our English-speaking churches, but there are many. Immigrant churches in the Twin Cities. There's hardly a group of people, people group, any place in the Twin Cities that somebody hasn't planted a church with that group. Some that have very few, and some that have a much larger group. But the most people in the first generation are gonna want to worship and be with people of their own background. I mean, we've still got Scandinavian churches in this in the Twin Cities, and we don't do a great job of breaking past our own and irish and and german and so forth past our own ethnicity we want to be with people who are like us but let's see if we're asking somebody to come and join your church who is from another country who's an immigrant let's let's pretend just for a minute that we're going to have you join a new church this week you're going to come to this church and you're going to become involved Uh, oh by the way it's it's a presbyterian church it's a korean presbyterian church everything happens in korean Now, how long is it before you're able to attend that church and uh, understand the sermon in the same five or six dumb sermon jokes that all pastors tell, how long is it until uh, until you can sing the hymns and understand all those weird words we never use, but they happen to rhyme well? So we put them in hymns, vocabulary that no human being would ever use, but we put them in hymns because they rhyme. How long would it take before you can go to a potluck and you could make good enough bulgogi that other people would actually eat it? So what you're saying is
0: that's not a good method.
2: For, well, it, to... it, it is, but I'm saying what, what investment are we asking people to come and make? How long until you could sit in a Bible study and express your thoughts and your feelings heart to heart faith to faith face to faith how long until you can get those nuances in that culture knowing when you can even speak when it's appropriate what respect looks like how long's it going to take you to do that in another language 5 years well at years? least at least well it's, first it's, of all i yeah. wouldn't
0: do it that's the thing i wouldn't go because i couldn't relate and that's why Our current structure in church doesn't support that kind of a situation. It can happen. I don't see how it can.
2: Well, there are in the great bell-shaped curve of things, there are a group of early adopters. My grandfather came here from Norway in 1908. He was a machinist. He had a pretty high-tech trade for that day. Went to work for the Great Northern Railroad. He had learned English. and had spoke. Learned how to talk English there in Norway, and my grandmother did too. So they came and they said, "Yeah, we want to pass ourselves off as just normal Americans. Yeah, we, we don't want to be called around We don't want you kids being called round-headed Swedes." So they joined an English language church. It was uh, it was a Lutheran church, but it was an English language church because, yeah, we, we don't want you to talk Norwegian. And so they were early adopters, and they learned the language, and they functioned in the language. My secretary's from Ethiopia. She learned English in Addis Ababa. She went to college in English in India. She worked in an English-speaking firm in Thailand. And then she came over here, and she's a wonderful part of our staff and of our congregation. But you know, she
0: is over a period of time in many different situations
2: and she desired to assimilate Correct. now not all people want to assimilate in fact that's kind of a dirty word uh, acculturate most people will learn a, a culture but to tell people that they have that they have to give up who they are to be acculturate means you can keep your identity as to who you are but learn how to function in another culture and that's a challenge but to assimilate means to drop your culture and not everybody's willing to do that now our congregation so it was a Norwegian American congregation and and it took us two and a half generations to get into English and took three and a half generations to get out of Norwegian because it was a Norwegian lifeboat, as most congregations you know, were. There's still a congregation in South Minneapolis that's all in Norwegian, a hundred and some years later. Our churches tend to be people who are just like us. Somebody said 10 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in, in America. Well, why? Because people like to be with people who are like them in worldview, politics, socioeconomic level, their ethnicity. All these things come together, their political views, and so we have churches along that spectrum that people self-select to go into. People want to go to a place where they don't have to have conflict.
0: So our strategy then as believers is first to find a way that we could find what the needs may be in an ethnic community and try to utilize our gifts and talents to meet those needs and in the process, hopefully, be able to share the gospel as well. And we do that not necessarily as an individual because that would scare me half to death. But if I could get a group of people from my church or my small group that would be dedicated to that and so we could share the responsibility of going into that culture to try to make that bridge. Is that the way works or give us a, an idea of how this works. If they're not going to come into our churches because they can't assimilate like that, how do we reach them?
2: If we believe that the God of the universe is involved in our lives and that the, the Bible is true, which I certainly believe, and if God calls people into the life that they're living, then yes, God expects you to be doing your job and you have a responsibility there. It's good and godly work and your family, ditto, and so on. So if you're going to be doing some ministry, it's got to be a ministry that fits into this life that it's it's a part of your life and it's you, but it shouldn't destroy the rest of your life. It shouldn't destroy your family and so forth. That's our presupposition, that God is able to use you and, in fact, wants to use you, the, just the Joe Dokes Christian sitting in the, in the pew or Jane Dokes. And it, God can call us to the people around us. In fact, if God brings people to us that, you know, if we pray that God will bring these people into our lives and keep our eyes open, he'll open that opportunity. We had a woman come through our class a few years ago and she had been part of uh, Campus Crusade, Campus Crusade staff for a couple decades. And she was very introverted, and she was very detail-oriented. Her job, she didn't speak out in public. She wasn't the person that was out in front. She had the last desk in back, and her job was to open the mail and sort the mail and uh, sometimes answer the telephone and just be a support person. She considered herself to be quite the opposite of a leader. She just could not see herself in, in front or leading or creating anything. And she went through the year-long class, and about a year later, I got a phone call saying, "I can't believe this! I can't believe this!" She said, "God's using me in ways that I never thought were was possible." I said, "What happened?" She said, "Well, we we live in an apartment, and uh, across the street there's another apartment, and we were noticing that there were some little kids going to school in, in late fall, and they didn't—they were immigrant kids, and they didn't have any jackets. They had the wrong kind of jacket." And I talked to my neighbor, and I said, look, these kids don't have jackets. So we went over to uh, Salvation Army or Goodwill or wherever it was to a store and found a uh, couple decent coats for the kids and bought them for 5 or $6 and uh, mittens and hats and, and brought them over the next night. Well, the mom was just overwhelmed. She was a single mom, and she really didn't understand winter, and so they befriended her, and they talked with her, and they helped teacher to how to shop and just came alongside this person and taught him this kind of stuff. And then they got the kids in, in Sunday school and they came alongside and then another family. And she said, I, I'm, I'm leading these things. I'm creating these things. And it didn't take any money. It just took opening my eyes. She said, I can't believe that this happened, but God put me there. Isn't that great? And that's really the whole emphasis, I think, of mission
0: shift, if we can come back to that, is it's creating the awareness that anything is possible with God when we're dealing with immigrants, say from the Middle East, or it doesn't really matter where they're coming from, but that seems to be the hardest group to reach. But God is giving us the possibilities of being able to do exactly as your story indicated. So when people talk about Mission Shift, it's a year-long program. People come in there once a week and they're learning about culture, they're learning about definitions that maybe they hadn't been aware of before what's an immigrant, what's a refugee, and they're also learning how to present the gospel in ways that are practical. Is that
2: true? It's about relationships, and the needs oftentimes are the, are the gateway that God uses to create relationships. There's a tremendous hunger in immigrants to get to know Americans, to get to understand how things go, to have friends And none of us, you know, I can't have a thousand friends and and deal with those friendships in in a meaningful way, but I can pick out a handful and create and get to know the other person. Uh, Our job is we don't have to do everything. We talk about these immigrants. Well, this woman brought this, you know, brought her new immigrant friend to church with her and, and it worked. We don't have to each sit down and figure out God's direction for these people's lives and create a whole Christian life for them. All we have to do is Is one person plants, another one waters. Paul says, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And so, you know, faith comes from hearing what is heard is the preaching of Christ, the message of Christ. And so we all we have to do is plant the seed. And the seed may be different at different times, but it always comes relationally. It comes with skin on. That's what the incarnation was about. And that's why we come and we we learn to love and we learn to open our our eyes and you know, people have a lot of questions, and they want to know about Christians. I work with a a very, very bright immigrant pastor who is from a uh, an African culture, and this person has many degrees and is very, very smart, very, very able, wonderful Bible scholar, great church leader. We had a chance to drive to Fargo for a church meeting a few years ago. And he had all these questions about how Americans relate and how do they, what do they do in their homes? And we're driving past these fields going up 94 of corn and beans and wheat. And he said, you mean uh, Americans still grow crops? Wow. And I said, yeah, in fact, you know, my my son's parents-in-law live just outside of Fargo here. And so we went over to a farm and he got to climb on the combines and got to see this stuff. And, you know, we've developed a friendship like this and trust where he can come Mm. to me with all kinds of questions. And, you know, and I come to him with questions and I learned all kinds of stuff because I certainly don't know everything. Mm. And but that's how you develop a relationship. Now, he was already a Christian, but that's somebody I could come alongside and help. And each of us are at different points and we can do different things. But, you know, people come here from other countries and they this is all new to them, how to walk on ice.
0: It is a relationship. Christianity is a relationship first to God and then to each other. I've been told, just to reiterate something you said about immigrants wanting to know what happens in American homes, I've been told by people who work with Far East students, Chinese, uh, you know, all the, the Far East uh, area, one of the largest people groups at the University of Minnesota is Chinese. And invariably every who comes into the school there wants to know what it's like in an American home so really just opening your doors and inviting students in could easily be an opportunity to sharing not only the lifestyle of an American but the basis for the American faith which is in Jesus so there's so many ways of doing that but I think sometimes we need to be challenged to think beyond what our normal lives
2: normally produce that's a perfect example We have more high-level Chinese grad students, doctoral students, postdocs, guest lecturers from China than any other university in the United States. That's huge. These are the future super high-level leaders of China. These are the people that are going to be running China in a very few years. These are the people that will have tremendous influence in the whole future of China. When Marco Polo came back from China. He came to the Vatican. The Chinese emperor had said, I want you to send us a thousand missionaries. We want to learn about this faith that you have. And he went back and he begged and he begged and the church sent two. The Chinese right now are in a tremendous opportunity. Who would have ever thought that China would be open to Christianity? Well, at this moment it is. And these people, these tremendous leaders, fine human beings, hungry human beings are right here. They're right here in our midst. And the number that I've been told several times is that 80% are never invited into an American home.
0: That's exactly right. I've heard the same.
2: For example, we have a ministry in the Twin Cities that I think is one of the most important ministries in the United States. There's no hype in that. I really believe this is one of the most important ministries in the United States over at the University of Minnesota. The um, Hospitality Center is an incredibly important ministry. They do things like uh, take Chinese students shopping, run a van and take them shopping shopping a couple times a month. They have a welcome, a big watermelon feed and picnic where people go over and they slice up watermelons every year and build relationships and teaching spoken English. They all read English, but they they want to have conversational English because the structure and the thought pattern of English is very different. And right now, English, we're at a time that right now, English is the lingua franca. It's the functional language of the world. People want to learn English, and oddly enough, we kind of know English, although way. <laughs> well, let's not go that far. We ain't necessarily real good at it. <laughs> no, I don't yeah. think we are. We have an opportunity there. That's an incredible opportunity. Well, and you wouldn't have, it's not, you don't have to spend 60 hours a week, but you can come alongside Chinese students, befriend students, bring them to your home, answer their questions, and you can tell them about your Lord. And that's going to change your life. The guy that's the, currently the top guy in China The top leader in China lived for a year or two in rural Iowa.
0: Wow, I didn't know that.
2: Now, think if they would have, if someone would have told him about Jesus, maybe they did. We don't know who the next leader is gonna be. Right. We don't know who where this is gonna come from. But this is an opportunity to bring Jesus. This is a tremendous opportunity. And yet God has brought them here. And there's a tremendous expansion going on in the Christian church in Mexico from all the thousands of people who have gone home with faith from here. Just the flames are spreading all over Mexico because of that. These are opportunities.
0: And that's what relationship begins to open your eyes to is not only the opportunities, but even some of the partnerships like this Chinese hospitality. There's all kinds of opportunities that we can actually get involved with. So we don't have to be a lone ranger in this, that there are a lot of groups that we can join up with and even learn more, but we're part of that reconciling element to the gospel.
2: And you don't have to bring this person through their whole life. As you create a relationship, introduce them to Jesus, there are people who are working with every one of these groups. There are, you know, maybe your church, maybe this person will be loved into your church, and they will learn, and they will create those relationships. But even if they leave and go to an, an ethnic-specific church, language-specific church, there's an awful lot. <laughs> this is an amazing thing. I know many immigrants who who are part of a, of, a, of an Anglo church because they're loved there and because they learn there and because they want to understand and they want to get better in their English and they want to be a part of that. But then they're also a part of, of an ethnic congregation that meets at a different time. And they will go consistently every week to two churches simply because they want to be with their own peeps, but they also want to be a part of a, of a congregation. And that. That relationship, we have some remarkable relationships, not only with ethnic congregations, we have four other congregations that share our building, but with other ethnic congregations, immigrant congregations of, of many different backgrounds. And God is doing ex- exciting things. And those congregations are vital and vibrant. And people are praying like crazy and uh, on fire. Their church council meets for three hours every friday night they talk and they pray and they dream and they're moving their church forward that's a lot of commitment
0: it is mission shift can open your eyes to a whole new world of ministry both for yourself as an individual but as a group as your church so tell us when it meets the mission shift class and then tell us how they can reach you.
2: Well, the Mission Shift class is a school year-long class. It starts the uh, last, last Monday in September, and it runs with a nice break for Christmas, and it runs through uh, the beginning uh, of May. Teaching Christians to build and lead cross-cultural ministries—it's inexpensive. A lot of colleges offer this, and that's <laughs> students pay a lot of money. They pay five or six thousand dollars for the year for the for the credits. If you take this and you sign up directly with us, it's two hundred dollars a semester, or whatever you can afford. Why? Right. Meet on Monday nights, six thirty to nine thirty. We're just off the southern edge of downtown. We've got free parking, lots of free parking. It's safe a nice church with nice lighting and lots of good graphics and a great teacher.
0: So if they can't or they don't live in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, they can get the DVD series. They can be trained by DVD in their own small group or church. And so tell us the website that they can learn all about this, both the classes that are here locally in the Twin City area, as well as the DVD series that they can get online. They can order it and they can bring that information even, into their church.
2: They can even have it for free. We've got a couple of our videos on uh, on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and uh, just put in "mission shift" and watch, you'll there are a couple of our videos, half uh, half-hour videos will come up. One of them talks about the whole challenge of immigrants coming into the United States, and the other one uh, talks about uh, and uh, globally uh, this great migration and urbanization, and the other one talks about what's it like to be a refugee. It's really a fun video. And you can access this stuff also off of our website, which is www.missionshift.org. Mission shift—it's all one word. The mission has shifted. Missionshift.org, and there's a bunch of information there. There are a couple of videos there. Information about the class—you can register for the class. And if you want to pick up the whole video series, you can order it from us, or you can order it from Amazon. It's right on Amazon. It's—it's it's available. We just—we want every church, we want every believer to see themselves as something new. They're not just a church member. They're not just taking, taking, taking. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. <laughs> we want to send you out there, lean and excited and and as an appropriate missionary. Thanks for joining us today for this podcast.
1: If you liked what you heard, please join us again next time. You can go to our website at missionshift.org for more information. While you're online, you can sign up for the RSS feed that will deliver a link to your email inbox so you'll never miss an episode. That address again is missionshift.org.